Hi, welcome to Head Talks, a podcast from Head Forwards. I'm your host, Owen Hodge, and today I'm joined by producer at Engine House, Natasha Price. Tash, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, it was about a month ago at Little Orchard Festival over Rattler that we were thinking, let's get you on the podcast. If only we'd have just recorded it then, it would have been great. It was, yeah, the conversation, from what I remember of it at least, it was really engaging. It was flowing. It was flowing really well, so um, yeah, no pressure now. <laughs> so just for the people watching, would you mind giving us a bit of an introduction to Engine House and the sort of projects you're, you're working on? Yes, yeah, so Engine House is an animation studio based in Red Ruth. We create content, uh, CG animated content for uh, film, TV, games, interactive, immersive, online, just about anything that moves. Yeah, cool. And uh, so we'll be talking about a few things today, but can you talk us, to us a little bit about how, obviously I imagine, very fast-moving industry. Uh, how do you guys find being based in Cornwall to start with? Um, is that usual for a company in your industry? No, it is not. Uh, so obviously, you know, London is definitely the, the hub of animation. Uh, actually, there's a, there's a lot going on in Bristol, to be fair. Obviously, kind of Ardman set up shop there and... Uh, there's a lot of kind of, I think because of that, quite a big sort of flocking to Bristol. But then, yeah, definitely kind of London is the key hub. Um, I think probably pre-pandemic, we kind of felt the challenge of that a little bit more. Um, just not being in that sort of very small uh, parameter where there's, you know, kind of a lot of studios. Mm -hmm. um, but equally, I think, um, you know, it, sort of, again, post-pandemic, you know, everything's sort of generally online now. We head up there kind of once a month or so just to kind of keep in check. But I think, you know we get to live in Cornwall, there's a work-life balance, there's a kind of approach to life, uh, it's a really creative place um, and we've got the, the beach on our doorstep. Um, for a while our little tagline was the studio on the beach so I think you can yeah. you know you can use it to your strength as well. Absolutely yeah I know Head Forwards have very much done the same obviously you know working with um, not just local but national and international clients like yourselves. Um, yeah there's, there's a cool like hub of techie stuff actually going on in Cornwall which might not be the traditional industry but definitely is the modern you know it seems to be a modern push for cool stuff happening down here and yeah. if you ever need to bring a client down for a potential meeting great great locations to take them out to and a pasty helps doesn't that, it absolutely yeah. Yeah. people are saying it's like the silicon valley of the uk yeah, yeah. okay why we'll not? take that why not <laughs> <laughs> so um uh so is the location's not a challenge too much for you for you guys so what's the technology like in the industry in terms of moving when we've spoken before we've talked about you know needing to stay at the cutting edge to really stay ahead of the game can you talk to us a little bit about the tools technologies you're using how you stay at that cutting edge yeah i mean as you can imagine things are changing so quickly in the kind of tech um i think tech across pretty much every industry but certainly ours um the um i think you sort of mentioned we uh moved to the uh, Unreal Engine, so real-time renderer in 2020. Uh, we were awarded the Epic Mega Grant, um, and that's been a huge shift uh, in animation. And uh, we were sort of very early to um, kind of hop onto that train, and a lot of studios are kind of exploring it now. Um, but that's one of sort of one of many changes uh, of the way things are uh, moving. So we're also uh, looking a lot into things like motion capture and facial capture. That's becoming a much more affordable option now, um, which helps kind of streamline a lot of processes. Um, but sort of, you know, beyond that, obviously, we've kind of got things like AI coming in. Um, and that's sort of, you know, only in a very kind of niche uh, 
section section of the market where you know you're also now looking at sort of how are streamers doing things how are people watching things online um you know how are audiences interacting with content all of that is changing so quickly um and sort of yeah being responsive to that is really important and i think we uh it's a really key thing for us to do to keep an eye on what kind of these changes and how that's affecting things but also you know how can we then respond to that how can we bring things into our pipeline um i think what's good about being a small team is that we can you know have these conversations frequently and we can do something really impactful straight off the back of having one of those conversations and it will literally be a conversation of i was reading this article last night and i've had this idea and what can we go and you know run and yeah. try today that mm -hmm. we can you know that could maybe sort of change the way we do things um so yeah it's kind of constantly being iterative and then sort of actively doing something about that yeah that helps yeah it's cool we, we we've got that in our in our team actually and it's quite a creative space for our developers as well and again trying to stay on top of and at the front edge of these ever-changing tools is important and but giving the space for the developers to do that is is equally important if we were just focused on churning out the same kind of stuff constantly they wouldn't be looking at the new and innovative ways to to use the change in tech um sounds like you're doing the same sort of like you say you're, you're exploring a bit playing with it and then you're looking for the use case and the project to come in where you can then use that new cool way of doing something that you found exactly and i think uh, you know at the moment we're generally uh working on sort of short form projects so with sort of quicker turnarounds they're kind of extending as we're moving into bigger projects but it it's a cool way to yeah like you said sort of test and try different things on various projects sort of make a you know sort of bespoke workflow for each of those projects what's going to work here um oh this project they want to try this out oh we could try that new tool oh, i read about this thing the other week someone on twitter posted this yeah. cool thing and it's yeah. sort of bringing all of those elements in for the right project as you say and kind of yeah sort of testing them failing quick tweaking it and then kind of um yeah sort of adapting yeah. each project should bring sort of something new to your kind of approach or, or yeah. pipeline yeah cool and so you've mentioned it there, actually, yes, yeah, the article I read um, that you put out a couple of years ago now. So I guess in a quickly evolving industry, maybe that's already out of date. But the switch to that, the Unreal Engine seemed to be a pretty big moment for, for, for you guys and uh, the sort of work you're doing. Can you just tell us a little bit what that what that means and what that journey was like, what you're using before? Are you still using it now? Is it evolving now two years on? Yeah, the move to Unreal was definitely, I think, like you said, a big sort of turning point for, for the company. Um, we were always previous to that still looking forward kind of uh, changing things so we were um, early adopters of GPU over CPU rendering which was just a sort of quicker more efficient way and in sort of in our minds uh, it kind of gave a better look uh, as well we then had uh, a custom machine built in Poland that we called the beast that right. I think it had sort of 16 graphics cards, I don't know a record amount yeah. at the time of graphics cards um, and so yeah it was kind of always you know how are we reducing this sort of really procedural time how can we get results quicker how can we see things how can we be more creative um, and Unreal was just the kind of clear next step uh, for that so uh, real time uh, gets rid of your sort of rendering time which means that rather than uh, putting uh, a scene together leaving it overnight crossing your fingers and hoping that in the morning you come into something that works you're getting sort of immediate response to that you can see exactly how it's going to look in the end you can sort of change lighting you can change colors it's sort of it's so tangible there in front of you yeah. um, and it allows you just to yeah be way more creative and efficient cool and would you say the technology helps you you mentioned a second ago as well that you are still quite a small team which for the 10 years you you said before that you've been sort of going then um 
does that help you remain at a small team even though I guess the work and the projects have increased you've not necessarily grown in terms of people yeah exactly I think uh we like to sort of see it as small but mighty um and I think uh, the you know the ability to be so autonomous comes from being that smaller team um we're sort of able to compete with uh much bigger studios who you know obviously turn in our amazing work and have this you know huge uh talent base behind them but it's it was just never our goal to have a studio of you know hundreds of animators that you then have this pressure to keep them busy um and also you know like i said it's we were able to make these changes uh on a kind of uh project by project basis that forms part of our uh, kind of approach in the way we take on projects we don't have um, you know we're not currently working on a three-year series where it's kind of you're locked into a certain sort of strategy and way that you're going to approach it mm-hmm. we can sort of bend and flex um, and I think as well just even the kind of uh, you know unwritten rules and kind of way we interact with each other the company culture is you know four people sat in a room having a nice time with each other yeah. it's sort of so um yeah, I think that's just a, a sort of a, a feeling and a sort of uh, sense you get with that small team where you're, you know, I don't think you should have to write a company culture in a document because yeah. you've sort of already lost it. We yeah. just, it's a sort of natural thing we have. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that, that allows you to move quickly, I, I guess. And um, in terms of your internal processes and how you run, um, can you talk to us a little bit about the how you how you set yourselves up as a team and how that's possibly evolved as well as the technology how your processes have evolved yeah so um being a small team i think for a long time we were pretty process light mm-hmm. um i think we kind of avoided anything that uh felt too just too admin-y i think and um we sort of had a business coach uh, a few years ago and he was always sort of repulsed by our lack of writing anything down mm-hmm. or kind of having these really sort of clear guidelines but i think for a long time, that was actually a big part of our strength is that we kind of had a natural flow and a way that we worked and um, we weren't sort of spending huge amounts of time deciding how we were going to spend our time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, since the sort of projects that we're taking on are kind of getting bigger, we're um, collaborating more um, and some of the sort of uh, workflows are getting a bit more complicated. We know that we needed a sort of uh, core system uh, in place for that. So I have found the the tool of all tools which is called notion um which is a sort of fully customizable um sort of project management comes sort of resource holder it's a little bit of everything um and what's great about that is you get to yeah really tailor it to exactly what you need um and we're now building in uh automation from that so that speaks directly to unreal engine and to maya which is the uh, what we uh, animate in um and again you're just removing processes so rather than uh an animator having to spend loads of their time pulling in animation sequences right what assets are in this what characters what do i need to load into the scene what what was the scene name how long is it what frames does it start on all of that information's in notion unreal can pull all that information the scene is there ready it's brought everything in that you need and again it's just you know how do we allow artists to spend the most amount of time being creative and not just having to do admin. Yeah, sure. So you're making use of, um, sounds a bit like automation in your pipelines and your workflow. Um, and anything more you want to add in that space? And are you sort of starting to, to touch into the area of AI? And if so, how? And if you're not yet, where do you see that fitting in in the future? 
yes, we, yeah, we're in the world of AI. I think you kind of have to be yeah. to an extent. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the key, of course, is that it's, uh, it's not about replacing people. It's about kind of, you know, how do you bring this in to empower people to get things done better? Uh, so we use Midjourney a lot. It is crazy powerful. And again, it's not in kind of the, the idea isn't to replace concept artists. It's to mm -hmm. give them the best possible brief uh, you can. Um, and also it's just even, you know, throwing ideas against a wall in, you know, 20 minutes, you can have a hundred images from a journey and you get to sort of pick and choose bits that you like about uh, all of them. So that's really powerful. And then uh, some use of ChatGPT in terms of writing some code um, and even sort of, you know, when you, when you have uh, an application or something that's a bit drier, mm -hmm. you sort of, you feed it all the information, you're still, you know, coming up with the kind of the tone and the things that you want to say, but it can put it in a very nice sort of pithy little sentence yeah. that maybe you'd have agonized over for a day. It can just sort of spit out. So it obviously, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing and I think it's going to get pretty crazy yeah. from here on in. Um, but I think, you know, it, it is coming on that fast because there's a reason for it yeah. and it is, it has its uses. Mm -hmm. Well, about on the, um, I get it from the sort of, uh, development side what about the creative angle do you see a, a place where ai is being used to cr to create the the content of what you're producing or do you think that's still a human i think that has to be a human and i think even if you're using ai you know an idea has to come from a person that it puts that input in um but i think obviously the thing to be careful about with ai is it's only scraping information that you get from other places so it's never gonna you know rock the world is never kind of come up yeah. with something super original um it's it's kind of you know it, it's improving or changing what information it already has so it's never gonna um yeah sort of fully shake anything up but it'll sort of here's a tweaked version of something you've seen yeah. before okay yeah yeah that's very much the same sort of um understanding we've got in the team i'm involved with at the moment actually which is um we don't see ai as replacing developers certainly not anytime soon um but it is a a useful tool for them to have in their in their toolbox um particularly when it comes to more on the automation side of things but being able to you know repeatable or time-consuming tasks that we often do at the beginning of a project um leading on ai in that way um can be useful um but yeah like you say that that creative bit still requires a human um so yeah certainly don't see that replacing our developers yeah exactly either. and you know why it's not the best use of their time to mm -hmm. do something that's repeatable or exactly. procedural. Yeah. You know, you want them to be, yeah. you know, hands-on doing what they do best yeah. for most mm -hmm. of their time. Yeah, for sure. That's a little bit about the, the technology. We've touched a little bit on your, your processes. Would you say um, that you're using um, agile ways of doing stuff? Uh, I know it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question when we've spoken before many times. It's, there's been a resistance to admit that you're, bit, you know working in an agile way or to that you're going to do agile talk talk to us about if that's still the case or whether you're yeah we're agile yeah. um <laughs> yeah i think we were agile for a long time without realizing it and yeah. um uh, yeah i think we don't necessarily kind of uh sort of fit the exact you know the particularly the way it sort of originated i suppose mm -hmm. um but yeah we, there's a lot of sort of practices and things that we've brought in and um we we like to, you know, sort of take pause on projects whenever we get a moment sort of put our head above water and sort of, you know, assess where we're at, what we're doing, what else do we need? Is there something that's kind of missing here? How do we kind of, you know, how could we have done that better? Is there a tool that we don't have? 
Um, and I think we, you know, we like to uh, get to a result as quickly as possible. So we do a lot of kind of things around, you know, what's the MVP we can pull together here? Mm-hmm. How quickly can we get an idea across to a client or to each other? How can we pitch something in its kind of most infant, you know, um, space so that we can get feedback on it? It's a lot of that kind of iterative process of, you know, we're not um, not making the Mona Lisa every time we sort of show something to someone. We want to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, throw some stuff together quickly and then sort of, you know, what we do is should be collaborative. And so it's exactly that process, but just sort of quicker and yeah. how you, yeah, how you sort of share all that idea. Yeah, cool. I think that's also what I've seen in some of the recent teams I've been involved with actually, which is um, being agile in your adoption of using agile. I've said this before, uh, I think maybe on another on another podcast, but um, just essentially rather than having this, I think, I think this sort of industry, if you like, has moved on a little bit from here's the textbook of how you do it and this is what you must follow and that means that you are now an agile organization to like you said when you when you start off maybe your process light and that actually makes sense because especially if you're in a smaller team more of a startup and maybe even mentality you just need to get stuff out there and get value out there quickly to whether it be the investors or the stakeholders of the business Um, and then it's later on when the projects start to grow and possibly the team grows that you need to start to layer in bits of process but picking which bits of process you need at at that moment in time rather than trying to just throw it all in there at once so as you said you've evolved and you're now working to mvps you're retrospecting by the sounds of it you might not be using all of the buzzwords necessarily but you're doing those things um it's kind of what i've seen again again in the team that i'm working in at the moment actually is like and evolving that process and not getting hung up on going right this is how we're going to do it now forever but you know in a month's time we might actually go you know what we tried that it doesn't really work for us so let's go and do something different now Exactly. I think, yeah, fail fast mm-hmm. is kind of a big sort of thing we like to get behind. And we sort of, we joke a lot if, you know, we tried something, it didn't really work out. Well, you learn so much from it. You kind of, <laughs> yeah. there's, you know, you can take stuff away. And I think, like you said, you know, not being married to a sort of a particular uh, approach or mm-hmm. uh, method. Um, and I think, you know, what's nice is at the moment we're sort of able to kind of carve out this sort of niche where we're kind of uh, sort of go to people in Unreal Engine, mm-hmm. but you know maybe not in ten years. It's yeah. hard to know, and we don't know whether kind of the tech will be or what we'll be doing, or whether the industry will be at. And it's being yeah constantly able to pivot from that, which is what we also think has kind of given us this edge within our industry is that we're not kind of you know uh, so tied into kind of yeah. systems and, and ways of doing things that have you know worked for fifty years, but maybe now it isn't the kind of the best approach, and that we're able to be so much more nimble than that. Yeah, cool. And it's definitely a, a, a almost like a mindset and a cultural thing before you even think about the the details of the the specific processes or tools that you use. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a state of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you've mentioned a couple of the tools that you are using. Is that sort of what you see? Obviously, the Unreal Engine is a is a massive uh, thing. I've heard about it and, and read about it in the article I mentioned earlier. Um, is is that how the industry is sort of moving or is that how it is even not even how it's moving but in terms of um big a big organization creating a platform and a tool set that then allows independent uh, developers or smaller companies and organizations to, to jump in and start using those tools to produce content um i think to an extent yes um i mean yeah the kind of uh sort of path that epic have been on with their unreal engine is 
crazy and you know it's it was a sort of huge uh, engine tons of games have obviously been made in it then they made Fortnite, um mm-hmm. and kind of you know it sort of exploded from there and then i think from that they kind of saw these kind of uh kind of crossovers with animation and the sort of power that that could have i think they probably also saw a lot of the challenges within the animation industry um and then that's when they started their uh, mega grants program so it's trying to encourage people to use their tool as their kind of go-to mm-hmm. for animation um i think the mega grants you know studios like us it will have been really empowering to to indie companies um but i think you're starting to see kind of the bigger players sort of they're getting the the message now and even though like I said, with a sort of bigger team, it might have been slower for them to kind of get in there. They're kind of, they're moving into this uh, world now. Um, we noticed a couple of years ago, we got taken out to Annecy Animation Festival by Epic and we sort of did a demo uh, of their tools um, and how we were using it for animation. Uh, but yeah, then pretty quickly we're sort of seeing, you know, pretty big name yeah. studios that yeah. putting features and series out in the engine. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely the way things are going, um, but we like to think that our kind of adoption of it pretty early, the kind of uh, experience and expertise we have in it now, and the way that we're sort of bringing in other tools and processes on top of it, uh, kind of still given us that that edge. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like it, because, well, like I say, because now you'll be looking out for what I'm sure will be one of the early adopters of the next big thing, right? Like you say, it's taken, a, I guess, the bigger the organisation, the more people you have and the more projects you're running, the slower that transition is to then adopt the new latest and greatest way of doing something. Um, So yeah, being a smaller team, being able to pivot, as we've already mentioned quickly, allows you to be ahead of the curve the next time around as well. And yeah, people, other other companies will always catch up, but then you're already thinking about the next thing once they're just now starting to adopt the thing you were doing two years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we hope. Um, And I think as well, unreal sort of, to an extent it's become a bit of a it's a thing people have heard and they're kind of like oh we must be using this unreal thing whereas you know we know the ins and out of it we you know we know what's good we know what's bad we know why we're using it and the best way to use it um and i think you can't you know you can move everything over but that still is a process that that takes time do you see that the gaming industry is um at the forefront if you like of developing a lot of the technology and the tools that are then cross over and are used in the film and tv space I think so. I think generally the the games industry is uh, developing really well. I mean, obviously, you know, it has its issues, mm-hmm. and uh, you, there's kind of been a lot of news stories recently about people being like worked to death. But yeah. I think the way uh, kind of projects can move through um, sort of pitching and finance and production is working really well. And I think, yeah, like you said, the kind of the tech side of it uh, is coming on so quickly, and the you know quality of games now is ridiculous and i think there's a definite sort of convergence between sort of uh film and games games are sort of so much more cinematic now mm-hmm. um and then films becoming much more immersive and interactive and it, it's exciting to see yeah how they're uh this sort of crossover that we're getting and i'm really excited to see how you know in 10 years time where that's yeah. at um and yeah it's definitely interesting to see that happen yeah for sure um, what about then if you, uh, you know, you're making great use of the tools that you've got available to you, do you ever hit that that point where you you need to develop your own way of doing something or bend a tool that you've adopted in a way that it's not been used before? Um, again, if you're at the cutting edge, I'm sure that, that must happen. Have you got any anything in that space, any examples? Yeah, I think uh, we 
the thing with Unreal is it's they're constantly developing it. They're adding new features, which is obviously amazing. Um, but there's you know there's always more that you want uh, out of a tool, and um, I think as well it's they're adapting it so quickly. They bring in one amazing new feature, but it breaks another thing. And there's yeah. kind of there's always sort of some amount of juggling that you're doing. Um, and I think yeah, exactly. You know, we like to push the technology to its limit and then quite often how do we then sort of surpass that as well what can we bring in what tools can we develop or how can we tweak our pipeline to fit into this um and what's great about being a recipient of the mega grant is we get to use their developer network um so we are constantly on there asking various questions why doesn't this work is there a way that we could fix this um and kind of essentially getting to you know beta test yeah. their yeah, tech yeah. um and it's nice because I think in a sort of a very small way, we're kind of helping dictate where that kind of, yeah, for sure. you know, where the technology sort of evolves and um, how it, you know, can work for a studio like ours. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely sort of you're still fixing some of it. And I don't, you know, no one tool will ever do every yeah. single thing you want mm -hmm. it to do. But it's how you kind of yeah build in processes around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, that echoes exactly some of the some of the work that are. I see our developers doing, um, you know, the, the the tool sets and particularly from the big sort of vendors, if you like, are constantly evolving, going through sort of evergreen change. And that means that, yeah, quite often you are almost beta testing it because they pushed pushed so much out and it's like, okay, this is great. This gives us a new way of, of um, delivering the next project. But what knock on effect has that had to this other project we've already got in motion right. at the moment? Yeah. You know? and, and yeah being at the edge of that and cutting edge and giving the team the space to explore that and make sure we're at the front of it is, is key. Um, so where do you sort of see the projects coming from for, for you guys? Because I know that you've done a lot of work for different types of, both in film and gaming, but also that you've got, you produce some of your own content as well from some of your own ideas. What's that balance like? Yeah, the business is uh, kind of got two sides. Uh, so we've got a, um, uh, client facing uh where like we said there's a kind of a whole range of different projects that we take on um we're sort of slowly growing the size of those projects um whilst we still want to you know be nimble enough it's nice to sort of really get creatively involved in a project we like sort of taking that from start to finish we we think that's where we can bring the most value as well yeah. is again it's you know how can we build an entire system that's bespoke for this project if we're sort of fitting into other people's workflows it doesn't seem like you're getting the best use of the way we've sort of built our team but then yeah extrapolating that further we're developing our own uh, slate of film and tv projects um so that's uh internal ideas as well as ip that we've optioned uh, or brought in um and that's definitely sort of the most exciting thing to us. Mm -hmm. And again, it's really sort of creatively owning something. Um, and, you know, we all got into animation not to have, uh, you know, built the cleverest workflow for a project is because we want to tell stories and yeah. make, you know, yeah. pretty things and um, sort of affect an audience and, and share that with people. So, yeah, it's a side of things that we're really excited about. And, you know, we're hoping that between having a you know strong slate of creative ideas and then a sort of you know smart and um, effective way of working on those, it's a kind of it's a little dream team, and that's the sort of the message that we just need yeah. to get out there now. Cool. And what's the what do you find the um, originality like of some of the work out there? Um, I think you might have mentioned it earlier on um, in terms of seeing stuff that's been done before. Um, 
who's coming up with the the more unique ideas are they like big studios or do they play it safe and do what's been done before and is it the more independent story creators coming up with the great ideas what or the opposite way around i don't know it's both um i think we're at a sort of an odd time in the industry it's kind of there's a lot of really frustrating things and we're sort of we're seeing a lot of um it feels like you're seeing a lot of the same thing mm. over and over again and Maybe, you know, AI is starting to play a part in that, but I think also just a lot of uh, buyers uh, play it safe. Um, you know, oh, this worked well five years ago. Yeah. This is just it again. It'll probably sell and be fine. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when you're pitching uh, ideas, there's a, an idea just as comps where you sort of, you know, you reference two films that have done well and you like imagine the two of those together. Yeah. Um, whereas we're sort of trying to, push things a little bit more um, in terms of the style, the story, even the sort of visual look uh, and the audience that we're going for. Um, and you're st- sort of starting to see that come through. So Spider-Verse obviously just revolutionized just kind of stylistically the uh, look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was followed up by things like Arcane, which was also much more um, adult facing, so much more sort of mature, kind of inspired by more Eastern animation. Um, and then things like Nimona as well. Um, so I think stylistically, we're kind of moving in the right direction, yeah. starting to see some exciting stuff. Um, but sort of story-wise and, and what audience, we're, we're still feeling kind of frustrated that it seems to be the kind of the same things and that people are playing it safe um and we kind of we're sort of saying like just give us like less money than you'd give that person but we'll come up with something that's like way crazier but it'll still be like sellable and (laughs) it seems i know it's sort of there's probably a naive way of looking at us but to us it just seems to make so much more sense and that you know that is surely what kind of art is and that's what we're all trying to do but course it's all tied into the world yeah. of a market and money and stuff well, as well it, so. isn't it? you mentioned it yourself like, that's exactly what i was thinking was is that ai starting to play a role or is it humans almost acting like ai by literally looking at the numbers and the data to say like you said these two films did well so therefore let's put them together and make another film that, right that must do well right because the data's told us that's the case rather than looking at the i don't know the more creative side and the unique storytelling it's looking at all what's done well before because it made money so now we're gonna exactly it's it. it is really data driven and it's it's kind of a shame and um i think we're also in a kind of age at the moment where everything has to be ip based um right. so you know unless you've got this you know huge recognizable name that you know your film or your tv series or your whatever it is is kind of based on that you know no one wants to put that much money into it because mm-hmm. who's heard of you know your lovely little idea that oh, you yeah. think's you know precious and everyone should be a part of it it's um yeah i think that uh you know obviously barbie i mean sure it was it was cool it was really yeah. great but i just i'm sort of you know sort of concerned a bit i suppose about this kind of that we're only you know living in a world of franchises and yeah. that's not necessarily where the best originality comes from yeah sure you mentioned before about uh getting as much done as like 40 people but with your team of four Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that what that learning process is like how you get that done um i think that it's sort of not all been a learning process necessarily Mm. in terms of how we kind of arrange ourselves i think sort of i think as i mentioned earlier there's a sort of unwritten kind of approach um where we like to go about things and it seems sort of weird to I think we sort of we worked in a vacuum for quite a long time and then only sort of recently kind of put our heads up to see what everyone else was doing and it just it was crazy to us that people weren't just sort of doing the work yeah there was kind of so much other stuff sort of built in and sort of you know process and just things that were getting in the way of being creative figuring it out 
getting a job done Mm -hmm. um and i think quite often we sort of we purposefully go for projects that we know will sort of challenge or push us and it's a kind of biting off more than we can chew or even sort of um having absolutely no idea how we're going to get it done yeah but knowing that we will yeah find a way Mm -hmm. um and i think we um you know one of the things we really like about these kind of quicker turnaround uh, projects and for a long time we were sort of a go-to of we've got four weeks and like oh my god we need this like thing making is that um at day one you have nothing there's sort of a you know fag packet idea you've got yeah. these sort of like rough uh you know the client's giving you some images or like oh god it sort of needs to say this and then that you know in four weeks six weeks six months however long you've given yourself you're going to be watching a thing yeah. and just sort of knowing that the you know we have belief in ourselves that we know we will you know somehow get through Mm -hmm. it we'll get it done and in a you know x amount of time you're sat there knowing you'll be watching it and that's really it's that excitement that i think kind of drives us to keep sort of taking on these sort of uh difficult or challenging uh projects that you know we have to it's just problem solving on a sort of massive scale really quickly um and that's what sort of i think that's something we get really excited about um and definitely sort of gives us that momentum to 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 keep going I yeah. suppose. <laughs> so you're carving out that little bit of niche as well then of uh being the go-to company for that kind of time time and budget is it uh you know at a pinch but yeah good fast cheap that's yeah. Right. yeah yeah um but yeah exactly and i think you know uh it's it's that thing it's it forces you in a way to be more creative it feels like you're having that stripped away from you whereas actually it's just sort of quick decision making quick turnarounds you know again bring coming back to the mvp thing yeah. you know what can we see okay like right we've made a call that's now locked oh actually i do want to change my mind no worries because we've built yeah, a workflow exactly. where you can do that and it's just yeah how do we you know enable that to the best yeah. of our ability how do you find the the customers or the stakeholders to be are you catching up with them i assume based on what you said quite frequently so that you're showing them hey this is what we've done we spoke yesterday or a few days ago is this what you meant you know exactly we try and yeah try and do that as much as possible i mean you know secretly in a dream world you would just they would just leave you alone um <laughs> and you could get on with it but of course yeah you sort of you need that feedback and that collaboration and um you know we've we've done sessions where we've brought the client and they are you know looking at unreal engine and we're sort of we're moving around to see right you don't want that light okay we'll turn it off that's what it looks mm-hmm. like without it do you want that to be red okay yeah, cool. cool we'll change that and that's a really cool process to go through and i think something that they can get really excited about as well and feel really creatively empowered themselves that they're, you know, seeing this really tangible thing that they can sort of, you know, make these immediate decisions on um, is a really cool way of collaborating with clients. Yeah, for sure. And that's exactly one of the, almost the prereqs that we have on our, one of our team is when we're kicking a project off is we need X amount of your time in terms of the process owner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll have, could be daily, might be three times a week, might be once a week, depending on the project. But we'll have regular touch points and standouts where we are, you know, showing them it like it's the agile thing. Again, I'm afraid it sounds like you're doing it like brilliantly because it's you, you take you're talking about something, you're taking it away, you're doing it, you're iterating it, you're sharing it back, you're getting feedback on it. If the client then changes their mind, that's cool, that's fine because we've broken the work down into these small chunks where 
we've not taken the project away for six months and now we're coming back to you with what we hoped right. was what your vision was six months ago and it's like well what are you what are you this isn't it at all yeah exactly and I think as well the particular animation it's it is very kind of front heavy mm. and I think yeah it's like that back and forth that the start is so crucial yeah. and yeah so it's you know how quickly can we get sort of sketches okay now what's the next stage and oh actually we need to go back a step and that we it's more important to get that right and spend longer there and then the rest sort of isn't necessarily procedural but it's a lot more kind of okay now we you know now we get through it and there's still sort of tweaking and things that need to be brought in but if you've kind of yeah if you've nailed it at the start and then you can run with that then you're you know you're probably onto a winner yeah cool okay nice thanks for that tash um last question time which uh as our regular uh, uh, watchers of the podcast will know, is time for a, a final question over a Cornish Cornish beverage. Uh, obviously, this one's very apt, I think, for this because we were, as I mentioned earlier, chatting about getting you on the podcast at Little Orchard, which is, of course, the... It's not the first rattler I've shared with you. It's not, is it? No, exactly. So uh, enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, so last question. Any type, chance for you to plug any podcasts, books, anything you use for your own learning or development, whatever it might be? Yeah, there's loads. Uh, so um, he doesn't post videos on there anymore, but there's a whole catalogue. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting. They're incredible videos where each week he looks at uh, sometimes a director or filmmaker or sometimes just... Um, a use of a you know use of color use of lighting cinematography whatever and he just does a really good analysis of what makes it so good there's a brilliant one um on uh, editing for comedy which is all about edgar wright films um and he goes into depth on the you know the the scenes where he's moving to the country the phone battery's going down and <laughs> It's just a really good, you know, he could have shot that and just sort of shown him getting on a train, but he doesn't. He yeah. brings in all these things. Every shot, there's a joke in it. How do you, you know, how do you make every shot count? Um, so that's a really, really good uh, series um, on there. And then uh, the um, Films to be Buried With podcast. Uh, so Brett Goldstein uh, of Ted Lasso fame. Yeah. Um, he does just a really sweet uh, podcast and it's... Um, so sweet he tells you you're dead at the start and then he's like but you're in heaven and it's great and they all want to talk to you about your life through film and he asks these sort of great questions and it's uh if you are an avid film watcher it's the best place to go and get film recommendations because it's people sort of really earnestly talking about films that you know really mean something to them or meant something to them at a specific time in their life or help them through something uh so that's really good um and my final one is uh as a not really hands-on person in animation at all, I feel like I need to sort of add a couple of skills uh, to the to the skill set. Right. Uh, I'm trying to learn how to draw. Oh, cool! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so again, there's a YouTube series called Draw a Box, which I found really helpful. That the principle is, uh, you know, how do you draw a line? If you can draw a line well, then you can draw a box. Oh, and right. if you can draw a box, then you can draw a 3D box. Yeah. And it's kind of it's. Uh, it just kind of really sets you up in literally how does your pen touch a page and how do you make a line that works and from there you've got a really good you know set of fundamental things that can then lead you on to being able to draw well um and so i'm really slowly making my way through that and i'm pretty my lines look great cool so i would recommend that as well i'm looking forward to the homemade christmas card this year yeah yeah just a lot of lines and boxes (laughs) it's gonna look great (laughs) that's cool well thanks very much tasha it's a great list Obviously, if you get that, ask that question again in the future, I'm sure you'll be uh, 
recommending head talks as well yeah, yeah, as course, you know course, course, course. absolutely top content mm-hmm. thank you very much again for coming on it's been great chatting to you Cheers. thank you <laughs> nice one <laughs>